According to Yuval Noah Harari, best-selling author of Homo Deus and Sapiens, it is storytelling that sets us, the human race, apart from other species. It's our ability to believe in stories that we hear that enables us to form communities, believe money has value, and follow a chosen religion. So when today's guest, Joanna Yates, was inspired to create Spark London, Britain's first open mic storytelling club, it's no wonder that it continues to attract sellout crowds 10 years on. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. Well, I'm delighted to have on the podcast today, Joanna Yates, if I got that correct. You got it right. Because I'm pretty rubbish when it comes to, I always ask someone to repeat their name for me, first of all, because I'm pretty rubbish at getting names right. So if you've got a name like mine, Steve Lazarus, people always get it wrong. So I'm always always aware that uh, I might get their name wrong, but welcome to the podcast, to your London legacy. And it's an absolute delight and pleasure to be here in your home, your beautiful home in, uh, where are we? Holland Park. We're in Holland Park. And what are those tennis courts I can uh, see over there out that- the back? That is Holland Park Tennis Club. Yeah, we're very lucky to look over Holland lucky. Park Tennis you've Club. You've got a wonderful flat and I'm really delighted and thrilled that you've asked me to, uh, or allowed me to be up here and already met your lovely daughter as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, this is going to be fun because you are the founder of a storytelling club. Would you call it a club called Spark London? Yeah, I call it a club. Yeah. So we want to dig a bit into that and how you developed the club, which I think started first of all in 2007. So it's been running for over 10 years now. So it's an open mic club where people come along and tell stories, their own personal stories. Yes. So it has a little bit of a history, sort of yeah. evolved over the years. It started off after a trip to the US when I was in, in LA. And on a Monday evening, I was asked to go to a storytelling night. I'd never, ever been to a storytelling night. And I thought, oh God, could be great, could not be so great. And I left there completely, completely gripped. I mean, absolutely those seven stories, I can almost remember now their faces and a mm. few of the things that they spoke about. The theme was invasion. And I came back to the UK and I thought, oh my God, I just want to do this. And and a few months later, I went and found the nearest theatre that I could, which was the time I was living in Little Venice. And it was the Canal Cafe Theatre. And I said, I want to do this. And he said, well, write us a one pager about what you want to do. So I did. And, um, and he said, yeah, you can have the theatre. And we started in the same vein as this show that I saw in the US, where the stories were written down, all of it. I gave them up to seven to 10 minutes per story. We had about seven people per night, had a rehearsal, read the stories in advance, and then they read the stories out to the audience for the first probably four years of the show. And then we moved from doing that to doing, I worked with each of the storytellers, got the stories right, but then they spoke them. And then eventually we moved to having open mic and the occasional one where I work and produce the stories or somebody works and produces the stories. If I can just take you back a step, Mm. because you've covered quite a few years there in a short space of time. When you went to America, what was it that you saw there that you thought you've got to, that intrigued you so much that you thought you've got to do this? Do you know what it was? It was the, it was the humanity of it. It was like people bare, in a bare setting, all they had was a chair and they just appeared from a door and they sat on either a chair or a stool and in front of a room full of people who just sat there listening, they talked about themselves. They talked about their own experiences mm. and they told it in a pure story format. It wasn't a talk. It's very much a story that started in an event and carried on through some kind of drama and ended, had, a, had an ending of some sort. But what really got me, I think, was the personal nature of those stories mm-hmm. and how people were willing to give you a little insight into their world. 
And that was really special because I hadn't really experienced that. In a book, you get a sense of it, but not with the person standing in front of you telling you the story. I find it completely transporting. I was gripped. So, I mean, a lot of people will go to these things and they'll they'll come away and think, that, that was good. That was a pleasant experience. Mm. But for you to come away and think, hang on a second, I've got to replicate this in England is a completely different kettle of fish. So why were you that inspired that you thought, I mean, what were you doing at the time? Were you, were you in work? Were you, you had, you had your own job at the time, a career? I did. So I was at a bit of a crossroads career wise. Right. So I'd joined um, an organization called the Mind Gym, which is a, I don't know, the fancy word is behavioral science um, organization. They work with organizations and with the individuals within organizations. And it's all about how people can change their behavior for the better of themselves and the role that they do. So we work in things like how people negotiate changes in their life as well as their work. What are the conditions that help people perform really well? What is it that influences people to do things? So I was working in a field where I was designing and creating workshops based in psychology for groups of people in organisations around topics like change, influencing, selling, whatever it might be. So you've got a psychology background. So I have a psychology background. And my boss, when I joined that organisation, a guy called Sebastian Bailey, he's a really inspirational guy, he put this massive book on my desk quite early on when I joined and I was probably only like 23 and it was um, I believe it's Robert McKee's book on um, script writing so it's called Story and he said when you create these things these workshops or these presentations he goes I want you to think about how you create the narrative of them how do you make them as gripping as a movie is for someone to go and listen to think about the acts within your 90 minutes worth of workshop think about the beats the the energy And I was like, what are you talking about? Literally. And then, <laughs> and, then, and then I really got this idea that storytelling was really fundamental to how you convey your point and how yes. you get people interested in what you're talking about. So by 2007, I had decided not to work for them full time anymore. And I became a coach. So I was a freelance associate of that organization, going to organizations and delivering these workshops. And again, storytelling was a big part of that. And that was the same, around the same time, it was August 2000 and it was the summer before I started Spark that I went to LA and I saw this storytelling night and it resonated so much. And you're right, it is strange that I thought, right, I'm going to bring it back to the UK. And the even stranger thing was I had a conversation over dinner after seeing Spark um, with the people I was with and I said, oh, so this story, these stories could be really interesting to do that in England. And they said, yeah, but people in England are different to America. They're probably not going to want to tell us stories. Yeah, they do. Obviously not. But it's interesting the sort of synchronicity that you're talking about. You're at a crossroads in your career from this Mm. sort of background, doing storytelling within organisations. Then you go along and you see to this storytelling night. I mean, what the chances of you just stumbling across an an event like that? I was. It's bizarre. It's really bizarre. And I think the fact that it it really stuck with me. And it did. Lots of people have said to me, "Did you check that other people were doing a storytelling night that you could have gone to?" And I actually never checked. It never occurred to me to look up another storytelling night. Yeah. <laughs> and I never searched storytelling nights in the UK. I literally just went to this theatre, booked it, found people willing to share their stories, and That's off bizarre. I went. It That's is quite really, bizarre. It is incredible. But storytelling <laughs> is an amazing thing because I didn't appreciate it. There's an author, a famous author called um, I've got. I wrote his name down here somewhere because I forget. Yuval. Noah Harari, who's written a couple of top best-selling books recently. One was called Homo Deus and one was called Sapiens. I don't know if you've heard of them. I have. Yeah. And in one of them, he, he comes up with a theory that, that sets humans apart from animals and other species is literally the fact that we can tell stories to each other. And that's what, that is the glue that binds communities. And he talks about religion 
is no more than us telling stories and passing the stories down from generation to generation. Money is a story. It's the value we place on something which has no value at all. Uh, nationhood is just a story. You know, we all belong to one community and we're all in one nation and this is all stories. And that's what sets us apart, he says, from chimpanzees because, you know, you give a monkey a chimpanzee, you just want another one. You, you, you won't appreciate the story telling. Uh, it, and it's fascinating. And as I was driving over here thinking about our conversation to be I was listening to the radio and it was the news and it was all about Brexit and they've come to a decision <laughs> and all the politicians were coming on and all they were doing in reality was telling their story their version of events what was happening in the in the in the Brexit negotiations and it's just fascinating so and the other thing that I find interesting is people don't think they have stories to tell but I bet that's not the experience that you found in your you know in the 10 odd years you've been running well I know that people have stories to tell, and it's often the people that will say, oh, I've definitely, I haven't got any stories to yeah. tell, that you know even more they've got a story to tell. Do you think that's because they lack an understanding of what a story is, or they're scared to tell it publicly? Partially, it's, it's, uh, it freezes people up when you say, tell me a story. Because mm. although it's something they do intuitively all of the time, they tend to think when you say, tell me a story, it's like a, a it is a construction of some sort, but in its rawest form, it's just talking about events, what's happened. But it does, the word alone does clam people up often. But a lot of people, a lot of people, yeah, they, I think naturally we underappreciate the originality of our own experiences because they're not original to us because they're things that happen to us. True. Whereas yeah, when true. I go and talk to someone who does something completely different, for me anyway, if they're specific and there's a sense of an actual story, so there's some sort of drama there or some kind of conflict or a crossroads or some sort and even if it's only quite small I'm interested because it's a little window into a world that I don't know very much about mm. um I've I don't know if I'm just naturally someone that's more curious about these things than nosy. other people nosy <laughs> but we're yeah. all but we're all nosy to a degree I mean otherwise Facebook wouldn't be as successful as it is because what is Facebook other than a platform for people to tell to stories a show off I suppose at one degree but they're telling stories they're telling mm. other people their personal stories and it's easy to do that, you know, be a keyboard warrior and, you know, tell your story. But to stand up and tell it is another level again, isn't it? Because you're actually volunt voluntarily exposing yourself publicly, for want of a better word. You know, exposing your soul, aren't you? You are, you are. It's very exposing. Because there's a story that you're telling. And then there's what else you're telling without saying it. Mm. Just by being you and standing up there. And there is a sense of that. You don't all have you don't have complete control over that. And you can't, you don't have any control over how it's heard or interpreted either. You're resting on the generosity of the audience listening, That's which a good point. audiences are, I find at Spark, incredibly, uh, not just generous, but they're just grateful. They're grateful to listen to the stories, mm. I find. So how does it work? Now, take, take me through um, an event, uh, an evening. I mean, how often are they held, first of all, in London? So at the moment, we have one a month. We have had three a month for quite a lot of the last few years. We have one a month at the moment and a few around the country intermittently. So the way they work right now is they are fully open mic. So we have our website, stories.co.uk, and on there are our upcoming events and the themes which are going to be coming up. I think one is the office coming up, another one is party. And we write a little blurb. So we think about, um, so within the one about the office, it was all sorts of like kind of, just asking people to think about their own experiences of being at work. Have you ever accidentally called your boss dad? Have you ever <laughs> <laughs> taken on a job only to find it wasn't what you were expecting sure. at all? That yeah. kind of thing. Just a few little prompts just uh -huh. to kind of get the juices flowing a little bit. 
And but really, what happens is people turn up because we're there every. So they month. get so they get these theme in advance of turning up. People who are on our website, on our website, or on our mailing list will right. get the theme in okay. advance. Yeah, a lot of people won't get the theme in advance, uh-huh. and some people are really regular, so they've heard about it the month before, and they'll turn up, and the host will be there as well as someone else who's assisting, producing, helping the evening, and there'll be a piece of paper, and it'll be like, "Does anyone want to sign up their name?" and what will sometimes happen in the early days it was like you just about got one person or two people for what we call the first act which is the first we tend to do it in three stories three stories three stories and then three again and sometimes we've got one or two and you'd be sitting there going oh my goodness all these people have come and they've paid and they're sitting here and we don't have a show but you rapidly realize you only need one person to get up there for another person to go oh i've got another so story so they just want one person to be the leader and then the rest will follow they need someone to be the leader and they need somebody to talk about something that that's what if you want to find a story one of the best ways to find a story is to hear a story do you know what i mean yeah like just you, elaborate on that a bit well i think if you if you're there and it's the theme of the office and you're sat there and you're thinking god i haven't got any stories i've been in the office for god knows how many years i'm fed up with the office but then all of a sudden somebody tells a story about something that happened in an office setting or whatever it is and you start you suddenly go ah yeah you go into your memory banks yes. and you start fishing around and you're like mm, actually oh my goodness that happened and then you think maybe that's a story that's interesting isn't it because once you hear somebody else telling their story it opens up like your memory bank and you it does start to visualize yeah it does your own experiences that, that's really interesting so more increasingly these days like you may we occasionally will have the whole whole show signed up before anyone has said anything sometimes we won't and if we don't then we'll hear the first however many stories maybe three or four stories we'll have a break say to people talk to the people next to you get a drink discuss what you've heard the people who are running the night the host and our producer will go around they'll say has anyone else got a story lost the same people again the one who said no i haven't got a story at the beginning some of, be their like, mind. some of them are like leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> and some of them are like do you know what i have or somebody will go he's got a story and he'll go, I don't want to tell it. And then he'll go, oh, go on then. He goes into the toilet and digs them all out where they're hiding. <laughs> <laughs> we've never, ever been short of stories by the end of the night, Amazing. ever. We've turned people away by the end of the night. We've never gone, we haven't got anything else. So even the biggest introverts have somehow managed to... Those are my favourites. Yeah. To be honest, I've always... The whole thing I loved about Spark from the beginning was I really wanted to hear the stories that you don't usually hear. So as much as I love and I really relied on some of my friends and colleagues and other people in my life who were inclined to get up there and speak i've always really wanted to hear from the people who are less inclined to get up there and speak and i was worried when we did open mic that you wouldn't necessarily hear from those people but you do hear from them you do hear from some of them Mm. you do so you don't just get the um the gobby extroverts (laughs) yeah the comedians comedians. i love the comedians but i want to hear the other people as well no you do get a variety so when they put their name forward, what, what are the parameters? I mean, how long are they supposed mm. to allow to speak for? Is there a limit? Otherwise, they can go on. You know, some will finish in 30 seconds. Some will go on for hours. No, I think one of the things I've learned over the last 10 years is rules are very important. We've always had rules. And everyone's always sort of, in the beginning anyway, I got lots of like pushback against my rules. And every time I decided to break one of my rules for someone, I sort of regretted it afterwards. So it's really simple. We ask people, they give people up to five minutes to tell an open mic story. And we give them a prompt at five minutes. I ask that the stories are true. They belong to them. Something that happened to you, not something that happened to someone else. And that they're connected to the theme of the night. And that's it. 
even, I mean, loosely connected. Yeah. yeah. I mean, connected can be in any way, shape or form. Yeah. So what sort of t- themes have you had? I mean, I, I, you, I saw one, one coming up in Passion. Is that Passion you've yeah. got coming up? Yeah, Passion. So you're going to have a fairly sort of hot evening. Well <laughs> do, spicy yeah. evening coming <laughs> up. I think I'll have to get myself along to that one. <laughs> <laughs> that one could be interesting. <laughs> Although you just never know. Like, you never know. Do you what? ever get some sort of things you think, hang on a second. I mean, do, do you allow anything? And in terms cool. of language and expletives, is it completely open mic? Yeah, no, I don't, we don't we don't you restrict don't what people say. I have uh, people have emailed me and say, "Can I bring my kids?" And I will say, "It's not designed for kids, really." I mean, you can bring them if as long as you're happy for them to hear swear words. It's adult themed. I mean, you yeah. can't. These storytelling nights are they're not necessarily really explicit, but they're definitely on yeah. Theme. But you'll get some storytelling, which, as you say, will be adult humor, adult themed yeah. based. Some of the language might be a bit sort of, yeah. you know, not for not for children. Uh, we did have one. I wasn't actually there that night, but one night where one of our producers, Dave Pickering, um, it was like one of the early nights we did in King's Cross. We did a short series in King's Cross. And again, he set it up, normal rules, true, your own story, told inside the time limit, connected to the theme, something that happened to you. And this guy obviously decided that he was going to do what he wanted anyway. So he got up there under the disguise that he was telling a true story and told this story about literally murdering people and cutting them up and really gruesome stuff. So David's standing on the sidelines with going mouth open. <laughs> it's just like, oh my goodness, either this is true, and in which case we need to call the police, yeah. <laughs> or this guy has just ignored every single rule. And you better hope he's ignored all the rules and it's not <gasps> true. And this is why actually producing these nights is a real, it's a very, they're very skilled, the people who host our nights, because you can deal with, you know, not all the time, but every now and again, you get a really awkward situation like that. Like he had to tell this person to stop and remind him that this is not, this is a true storytelling night. Right. Because otherwise it's, the whole thing is derailed. Yeah. Everyone sat there and go, oh, hang on a minute, maybe I'll just get up there and sing a song and I'll do something completely different as no, well. Sure, sure. So how did that go down the, with the, the audience? I think he saved it actually. Yeah, did he get heckled? Did he get very, much heckling? You, very, <laughs> you don't actually. Thank goodness. There's some sort of, there must be some kind of implicit implicit law that when people get out there and tell a story they're sufficiently vulnerable that other people don't feel that yeah, they have the they right don't, to they don't want to be next to be picked on and to be yeah. urged up onto the stage do so they? they don't heckle <laughs> no that's fantastic so do people feed back to you afterwards this what they've ex- because a lot of people will this be the first time i would imagine they've ever ha- had a microphone thrust in front of them and then talking publicly do you, is there a common theme that people tell you afterwards what they've experienced you know it's a cathartic experience it was a way they could release some stress and emotions the first time they've ever told their story and they feel 100% better for it. What, what sort of feedback do you get? I only had one person ever say to me that he felt worse as a result of telling his story. <laughs> and he's a quite an, he was quite an unusual character. I've had a lot of people say, quite a lot of people anyway, say to me it's been a crossroads for them. Like it has, it's sort of set them up and I don't know, it's a bit of a boost. It can be a real boost. I think even more so when you do the produced nights, because you spend more time with a group of people telling your story, thinking about it, working on your story. What's a produced night as opposed to? Well, a produced to- night as in when I've worked with the storytellers or when someone has worked with the storytellers and they've they've um, done a rehearsal together. There's a bit more of camaraderie among that group then rather than open mic where there isn't. And I've had a number of people back in the day when I was doing those produced nights who said to me, yeah, it's really had a very positive effect on them like really giving them a boost that they needed. And there's a lot of people I don't know exactly how they how they felt afterwards. But I should think there's some people out there who thought, wow, I didn't know I could do that. And some who thought, God, I wish I hadn't done that. And some who, well, I think on the whole, it seems to be something that 
out of the ordinary that makes people feel good. Yeah, because it's something they don't typically get a, an opportunity to do, I suppose. And you can just turn up. Well, I mean, how much does it cost? Do you think it's a normal? Five pounds. Five pounds. So for five pounds, they're getting an evening's entertainment, whether five pounds, whether they get up on stage or don't, everyone pays yep. five pounds. Yeah. And then afterwards, when they're off stage, there's time to mix at mm. the bar or wherever this is with the audience and... Yeah, I really encourage people to talk to each other. Mm. I mean, it is different with and open mic. You are the audience is the show, and the show is the audience. It's all very everyone's in it together. Yeah, and I really hope because it was always my aspiration, and and I and I believe it still happens, which is people do really talk to each, conversations happen among people who don't know each other before they enter the room. Yeah. And I know people have said to me, "I'm happy to go to Spark on my own because I know I'll talk to people and meet people when I get there." And a lot of people have said to me, "I've met some of my best London friends through." spark because yeah because they get in the room and you start to share things you open up you find things in common you meet people you'd never have met before Mm. it's that i love that side of it yeah no that's lovely and i'm actually as you're saying that i'm casting my mind back i went to tedx london in june july this summer it was at the festival hall on the south bank and they had a break they had a couple of breaks throughout the course of the day where you could go and meet the speakers and i set myself off and you know, introduce myself. And as a result of that, you know, got some of the guys and girls have been on the, I've been on the podcast and, and they're really cool. It's That's really, great. you build up some really nice relationships and they're just, all, I mean, we celebritize these people a bit as well, <laughs> don't we? Because they, you know, they've been up, they've faced the audience and faced their demons and then they must feel themselves over oh, you know, I've all mm. popped up and all elevated. I'm a bit of a, bit of a celeb here with all people coming around asking me all these questions. It's, it's great for them. Great for their ego, especially if they're a, as we say, a little bit shy, a bit introverted. Yeah, definitely. You, I mean, this, you've been doing this for 10, 10 years now? More than 10 years, yeah. I mean, my the type of involvement I have now is different to what I had back in the beginning. In what sense? So you were very hands-on where you well, started? very hands-on. I mean, yeah. I was the only person doing it mm. up until Matt Hill got in touch with me and said I'd like to record it and turn it into a podcast. I was going to ask you about that, yeah. Yeah, and then slowly sort of, yes, yeah, so I, was, I was, I used to send out my little marketing emails, which was like, pre-Eventbrite, Facebook, everything. I think Facebook was really happening in 2007, was it? Um, yeah, I found all the storytellers. I just racked through my um, my contacts and met their contacts. And eventually I pulled together a show every month for years. But yeah, my involvement now is much more, well, it's almost nothing. Like it is produced and run by an incredible team of sparklers, sometimes known as. <laughs> <laughs> And that's how most of it happens. And then occasionally, again, because I've had a small baby, I've been less involved for the last year and uh-huh. a half. But then I'll come back and get more involved in specific nights. But generally running the open mic night, well, the open mic nights are run by the team of Spark people. So it just runs itself now and you, you, just, you just see it carrying on. Yeah, I really hope so. I mean, I really, I hope, I mean, I feel so grateful that it is, that it has a life beyond just me and that there are people out there who feel as passionate about this as I do. And they've put themselves out and consistently been there for a long period of time. There are many people I work with on Spark who have known over a lot of years now. So it has brought out a lot of passion and enthusiasm from other people. Because if it rested purely on my shoulders for this amount of time, that would have been a tough, tall order. But yeah, it's um it's thanks to that team that it's that it's still there. And I think I think that my involvement in the future could be I think I'd feel really excited about the prospect of I like what I've loved doing is some of our charity collaborations. I've loved doing events with Mind the Mental Health Charity. Another colleague of mine did it, but they did another amazing one with a an organisation that work with Body and Soul. They work with young people who are affected by HIV, 
Um, we've done one with an educational um, organization, another with a group of people who were over in Calais looking, um, working with people in the, the jungle in Calais. Mm. And I really love those. I love the. So how, so how does that work? You, you, you go along to the charity and you get some of the people, who, the, the community from the charity to partake in the same. Yeah. Same criteria. Yeah. So charities have come to us on the whole and they've said, look, we know there are lots of stories here. We know people here have got amazing stories. We know you guys are running these events where these stories come out. Can you come to us and find some of our stories and produce a night and raise some money for us? And that's what we've done on many of oh, these fantastic. occasions. We've, I've loved doing those nights. And the mental health charities, I mean, it must be fantastic as well. Really, so really. You get some done. of the, the, the people who are suffering from mental health issues yeah. to come along and participate. Yeah. In the, yeah. Some of them came from within closer to home than others. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so Mind introduced us to a few people who were part of that. It was a Mind Harringate. So Mind is sort of borough of specific centric, yeah. and they they introduced us to a few of the people that work in that area so we had a lady who was incredible so she she has during her lifetime experienced quite a severe mental health problem she'd been sectioned at one point she'd been in mental health institutions and then she'd become a mental health nurse and worked on the other side and been involved in sectioning other people so she'd mm. had really unique experiences wow. of both sides of sure which, which is quite unique you don't get that many people in those situations no well, I'm just wondering, again, as you're talking to me, my parents set up and run a, mental, a charity, mental health charity, which mm. um, for various reasons, my, my sister became very ill many years ago and still is, unfortunately. And I'm thinking that what you do could probably sit quite comfortably within the, some yeah. of the service offerings they do as well. And also, in fact, one of the guys I interviewed recently, a chap called Johnny Benjamin, you may or may not know, he um, had a, an amazing story, which I recommend you listen and all the listeners listen to as well on the podcast a few weeks ago. He... Um, about 10 years ago, roughly when you were setting this up, actually. Yeah. He was very going through a really, really bad patch. He took himself off to Waterloo Bridge and was going to do the uh, the unthinkable. And um, a very nice young man walked on his way to work, said, you basically, you don't, you know, you don't want to do that. You know, let's go and have a coffee and have a chat and talk about it. And saved him from, from jumping. And the story developed that he never saw him again. He, he didn't know who he was. And it grew into this social media went viral. He developed this campaign. Years later, called find, hashtag Find Mike. You may have heard of it. And then Channel 4 picked up on it and um, they made a documentary out of it and they've actually got them back together. And now they're two mental health campaigners going around schools and they've set up a charity. Incredible guys. You, I, you should listen to the story. It's, a, it's another story, but it's a true story. He wrote, he wrote this book called Stranger on the Bridge. Amazing. And uh, it's, it's, it's a fascinating, true, heart-rending, beautiful story. And I think storytelling in the way that you do it through spark i think is a is a way that can be integrated into other settings as well in the way that you said through mind and i can see it taking on a another another angle mm. not just in the the angle where people turn up pay a fiver and have a bit of fun because it's more than that i think storytelling is 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 very deep and personal and there's lots of people who can benefit from it. Yeah, it's an interesting point, actually, because a lot of people I've come across, I met somebody earlier this week, actually, he's worked in a lot of, they had a job in a methadone clinic in New York and he was doing lots of storytelling with them. Mm. And I have always been really conscious of the fact that what we've done is it's on the, it's inadvertently a little bit therapeutic for some people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I also would never want to, I'd never want to pitch it as therapeutic in and of itself. No. Because I think that I don't know. It's a very fine. It's a very fine line. Did it? It is a fine line, it and is there a is a responsibility line. as someone who produces nights like this. Like you don't want to have. You don't want to make anyone feel overly vulnerable, and you do rely a lot on people putting themselves up there. 
But as long as you're not badgering them to do it and they're doing it totally voluntarily, I mean, I guess I don't know. I've never attended one. But presumably you have people who go up there and, and they say, no, I can't do this. And they step down off the stage. Or does I haven't that, had many of those, actually. No. no. So really people are volunteering to do this and they are exposing their souls, aren't they? Because yeah. these are personal stories. And I think in the sector you're talking about, and we're, we're you know, mental health sector, I think that can have big... Because you're from an occupational psychology background. Yeah, yes. so I think this is why I have this consciousness because yeah. I got ethics, a whole unit of ethics a long time right. ago that went somewhere in my brain and lodged uh-huh. itself. <laughs> so I do, I, I'm conscious of that. But yeah, no, my background is I, I did a degree in psychology, which I really enjoyed. And then I did a, a master's in occupational psychology, which is things to do with performance, what makes us perform well, what are the things that lead us to be demotivated or to not perform as well as we could. And it also looks at all aspects of work, really. And it doesn't talk about storytelling as such. But I don't know, once I got into work and the job that I started doing and my boss who had that emphasis on storytelling and how you use stories to get people interested in stuff, it all clicked together, really, because they're very connected. Well, I think there's some something to be explored there, you know, definitely. And I think you think you've really probably already started on down that road. I think you mentioned something that you had dyslexia as a as a kid as well. Is that something that still is a something that obviously doesn't hold you back? But is that something you still in the back of your mind that is yeah a problem? yeah yeah definitely? How, I mean, how does I can't that affect you in, in terms of storytelling and. Well, it's interesting, on. actually, because just before I went to the states and did this, I was doing the organisation I was working with very amazingly got us a coach a writing coach because they wanted us to write better so she came in did did some writing coaching with us and she gave us prompts to write stories and we'd look at like a postcard and she'd be like tell the story of this and 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 i've really enjoyed writing creatively but i was really held back by the fact that i knew that i couldn't spell everything right and she was literally like do not worry about that she goes what's way more difficult is to write something original and interesting and then you can worry about how it's spelt and written later and then I went off to the States and heard this storytelling. And I think I think I re- I love the fact that it was oral rather than written because I feel far less in, far less inhibited in how I can speak. Because you can't I can make write. spelling mistakes when you re- when you're That's speaking, can you? Nobody, no. nobody knows if you spelt it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll sit there and write an email and I cannot ever be sure. In fact, I can. I'll be sure that there are mistakes in it that I can't see. And I know it doesn't look very professional to have mistakes in things that you've written i know it looks awful but i unless i literally give it to someone else to read and write read again it probably will have mistakes in it but but i can speak pretty fluently on the whole so the storytelling and the personal aspects of it just really really so appealed to me got a very, yeah i've got a very personal t- reason for you wanting to do this as well i suppose in the back yeah. of your mind yeah and i also think that when you are when i well for me being a bit dyslexic meant that i felt unable to express myself properly like I, at school, I would queue up to get my work mark, knowing, dreading all the red pen that was going to be on it. I think in the, one of the stories I told on the podcast, I got, they tried to teach me Greek as well what? as French and English <laughs> yeah. and Latin. And I got, I tri- did try. I got absolutely nothing right at all in the Greek exam. <laughs> and I remember just feeling so mortified. I mean, just surely even someone who had like barely had any intelligence in their head at all could get one mark in the Greek exam. But I got absolutely no marks in my Greek I exam. Know they talk Greek in schools anymore. Well, so, they attempted. Yeah. Shortly after that, they dropped the Latin, the Greek. I still had to do English and French, but they got me a tutor to help me spell. Uh-huh. I think I felt so unable to express myself and so like I just thought god school is just for other people you know this is not for me and then it changed and it, but it took a long time because it 
the 11 or so, I got a tutor. Thank God. And I was so lucky because a lot of people don't get anything. And and it took until I got to university before I was able to actually do well academically because I was so, I'd struggled so much at that point. But then when I so got it and I loved it, I loved studying. I loved it. But I think it is very connected to the storytelling. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was a massive story in my life. I mean, we could have gone a very different direction. <laughs> <laughs> they teach reading and writing at school but they don't teach the art of communication which they is don't. what we all ultimately need is how to how to talk and communicate with one another and get ideas across because without that you know i mean in today's society you know emails and texts and whatsapp and everything spelling is fast becoming a thing of the past anyway i think isn't it true unless, yeah unless you're writing professional letters i don't know to your mp or your doctor or something it's, it doesn't really matter if you dot your i's and cross your t- i mean i always like to have a put a a letter or, or an email together properly, you know, grammatically. Getting ideas across is, is way more important. And what you're doing with uh, Spark London is 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 wonderful. What's I, I didn't figure out where the Edinburgh Fringe fitted in with um, mm. your mm-hmm. project. Your well, the Edinburgh Fringe came about through um, an email and a phone call that I got from a marketing agency who represented Grant's Whiskey. Okay, and I had a slightly one of those conversations with the girl who got in touch with me where. It just kept speaking over each other. You know, sometimes you talk to someone and whatever reason, all those so communication skills just go to that. We just, we just didn't have the same flow at all. But anyway, we got together and they were very keen to put storytelling into the whiskey drinking. And so I produced, I produced um, an event for like a hundred of their brand managers from all over the Europe. They brought them all to London and I got together literally like, what I don't know, Obviously, it had to get through their um, their critical eye. It had to be not cons- had to be considered PC enough. The stories, but they're all true. They're all their own people's stories. We got together, we produced an event for them at Ketner's in West London, yeah. and that was around two thousand and nine. And they actually they really loved it. We did dinners, some in the around the UK, and then they did their own storytelling events in their different European territories. And then the winners of those all came to Edinburgh. So they invited us as Spark to produce Spark shows for one week, every one or two weeks, every night of the week. They had an American show called The Liar Show, which is a fabulous, fabulous show. Four stories, one is a lie. The <laughs> audience have to work out who it is. I love that. So they were on at nine o'clock. We were on at like 7.30. And they put us up in this lovely venue on the, the mile. And that's what we did. And we worked with a few people from the Moth as well who came over. Amazing storytellers. So they were part of The Liar Show. Some of them were part of the Spark Nights. And that's how we came to do Edinburgh. I would, I've never really thought to myself, do you know what, I want to take a show to Edinburgh, but we sort of got invited and we're very lucky. But you we did lucky it. And how it did like it go down? It, was, it, was, it went down really well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're, it's very different. You're, there's a lot of competition out there for different things sure. to do. And also you work with a brand and it's not, I mean, it was Spark, definitely was Spark. Um, but they sponsored the whole the It was whole all thing. sponsored by yeah. them. So that helped. I mean, if you yeah. offered free whiskey... Um, <laughs> You can come in. <laughs> free whiskey in Scotland. <laughs> so it's always a winner. <laughs> oh, free whiskey and a, and a warm place to sit and listen to the stories. Yeah, it went really yeah, well. Who cares what the stories are? <laughs> Let's have another round. <laughs> I was I was really pleased with it. I was so happy. It was such an amazing thing to share with everyone and such a crazy experience to go and do that. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> it's yeah, cool. You, you didn't think of doing that again. Bring, brings that down Spark here. has been back, actually. Oh, Some have? of the team took Spark back, I think, the year after. And they did a number of shows, and I think that went down well. They did it on their own steam, which is really commendable. I haven't been back again, though. I love, I've been back to see the actual Edinburgh Festival and been to shows, but I've never been back with my, my own show. 
I think what you're doing is is wonderful. I implore everyone to go along and participate, listen, because it's obviously a podcast as well. So you've got the live event. Does, does the podcast is a direct recording from from the event? And how how often is that released? Is it once a month as well? Podcast. Oh, I'd have to check at the moment. I'm not quite sure how many yeah. times it is a month at the moment. But yes, the the um, podcasts are recorded live at our events. So you. The, the people who partake, who the storytellers, sparkles, whatever you call them, they're, they're made aware that there's going to be part of a podcast <laughs> yeah. to be released. They yeah, absolutely. have to consent to that. Yeah, so we yeah. let everyone know on the night that the um, that we're recording. If they don't want to be recorded, they don't have to be recorded. We also have always, right from the very beginning, anyone who does tell a story and gets recorded, we send them a recording for themselves. Mm-hmm. And then we ask them for, the, for their permission if they want to release the dust. And we don't put all of them on the podcast. It's a selection. So, and it always has been. I mean, we've had, we must have had many thousands of stories, literally. And we... You can't do all of them on the podcast. We do not have all of them. We have a selection on the podcast. But we've got a pretty amazing archive back there. Yeah, I bet you have. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I was trying to listen to one or two, sort of, uh, to get a flavour for it. And some of them are are fascinating. I was listening to the the lady, it was was on the theme of identity. The lady who said uh, her brother was Chris Martin from... um, Coldplay. No, Coldplay. <laughs> yes. oh, yeah, I forgot the name of the band I there for a second. Story. I thought it was a fantastic story. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, really I won't give the game away because I think people should listen to it. But uh, stories are just brilliant. They are. They're they, brilliant. They brilliant. are so brilliant. And sometimes, only very occasionally, but sometimes you hear one at a live event and the person says, I know because I'm involved, but they'll say, no, I can't release that. But you'll just be like, oh my God, you've just had a little window into something. And you're just like, wow, that was hilarious. I mean, there's a lot of comedy as well, I would imagine, up there. But do you also get a lot of, you know, people literally bearing their soul in a, in a dark way, does it? Yeah, you have the full spectrum, actually. Yeah. yeah. You have had, I've had stories which have ended in a darker way and then you'll have the next story which is on a completely different level and again I think it's down to a lot the host's ability to create the right pitch that someone can stand up after somebody said something that's quite a little bit darker Mm. the overall feeling of the night is definitely not dark it's probably more on the happy side but I I to be honest I think I would consider it more of a success if the more of the variety we have the more of a success that we are producing these nights too because I wouldn't want it to be two on only on one mm. plane but yeah we do we have both do you when you go around and, and get the the volunteers for the evening do they tell you roughly what the plot is the storyline no. is they don't the, no we don't you don't want so, to know you want it to be fresh and original yeah i just think i we do you know what when i first started open mic i was like this isn't going to work i think fun somewhere deep inside me i didn't trust <laughs> enough And it really is an exercise in trust. It's an exercise in trust that people are going to turn up, that someone's going to sign up, that someone else is going to think I've got a story. And yeah, people are way more, they're amazing. Actually, the less you hold on, the more amazing the stuff, as long as you have a framework. What's the typical size audience you get? So in Brixton, because the Brixton and Hackney are slightly different, it's around 60, 70, oh, wow. can go up to about audience. 80. Yeah. yeah, it will really vary though. I mean, you'll sometimes be like, oh, it's January, it's going to be a quiet one and all of a sudden you can't move. And then you'll be like, oh, it's August, we're not going to have many people and it'll you'll have, yeah, I mean, have, I don't think we have, haven't had small really small audiences for a very long time now. When, when's the next one? I must get myself along. Uh, next Monday, the next 19th. Monday. Oh put my foot in it now haven't i <laughs> you've got to come please come i'm gonna have to come yeah we'll have to come it'll be really it'll be a very fun night yeah well it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast thank you very much and uh, your daughter hannah was uh, 
a delight and she hasn't uh, misbehaved either she hasn't come storming in here wanted to nick the mic off you or me so that's I'm that's she didn't try to bite your mic <laughs> bite my mic and i want to bite my mic <laughs> i've had people try to snatch mics i told you the story about the when i was in the uh, english speaking union and yeah. they wanted to come and take the mic off me and, and shut us down from public speaking in a public speaking place which was quite funny that's quite funny but, um, do you know what that reminded me once i was in soho and i was producing one of these nights and well, at the time I was anywhere I looked, I was like potential storyteller, potential story. So there's these guys walking around trying to sell this soap that they've made. And they're like, hey, we're a young startup company. We've just started making this soap. It's made with honey and natural products. And I was like, oh, so that's really interesting. Have you, do you know, I produce these nights where people tell their true stories. And they were like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this other woman came and like moved them on. And I was like, What's going on? And she goes, they're on The Apprentice. Oh, wonderful. I was like, okay then. You should have got the mumbers. It wouldn't have been a true story. <laughs> true. <laughs> All made up. So before we wrap up, where can people find out more about the show or get in touch with you just in your social media sort of? Yeah, so our website is stories.co.uk mm-hmm. and they can get to the podcast through the, through the site or they can find out our um, events and you can also sign up to a Spark London newsletter which is a really good way to stay in touch. We're also on Twitter um, at SparkLDN um, and on Facebook as well, Spark London. So those Did you mention reasons. Instagram? Do you have an Instagram account? That's a good question. Not that I know of. <laughs> I think you do. Do we? <laughs> but I, I'm gently trying to prompt, but I don't think it's... Uh, yeah, you have. We've I'm got sure. an Instagram account Sparks too. London. <laughs> <laughs> Look up Sparks London, folks. I'm sure you'll find it there. Well, thank you very much again, Joanne. It's been a real pleasure. And thank you very much for welcoming me into your beautiful home. You're very welcome. And uh, I look forward to maybe coming along and being a guest in the audience rather than participating in the the storytelling. Thank you very much indeed. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Pleasure.